everyone always says when you're in your 20s, it's about finding yourself and it's okay to be confused. I'm 23 and as bad as I want to be the exception to that cliche that we're all confused and lost, I am. I want to get to the bottom of it. I'm interested in the media and entertainment industries. I am asking professionals everywhere, everywhere, how they got to where they are. If that's something that strikes your interest and you're looking for answers or a really good story, stay tuned because that's what we're doing here at Doom for Success. I'm Doom for Success and so are you. Hey, what's up? My name is Badia Shehab, and this is my podcast, Doom for Success. I'm doomed for it, and so are you. Today, I'm recording the first episode of the podcast in Nosara, Costa Rica, where I am joined with Garth Dyke. He's directed reality television shows around the globe for channels like CMT and HGTV, and today, he joins me here to be on my podcast. What I hope to gain from this interview is... An idea of what goes into directing reality television and how you get into it and where do I start? All that good stuff that I can't find on WikiHow. So all that and more coming up in about two seconds. I started out as a kid actor um, because when I was like 11 years old I had a filmmaker older cousin who needed 11 year old kid in this movie this <laughs> drama and um, I was the victim I guess oh man how'd uh, you die um, no I was, I, mean, I was a victim like being a child actor. oh 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 I believe yeah. like in, in the drama I was like oh man Not, there's some, being a child actor has a lot of pitfalls right mm-hmm. um, so um, I you know that was difficult um, you know, of course I wanted to do it, but it turned out to be very difficult. But then I got on kind of a roll and I got on a lot of other kids programming. After high school, I tried to go into general arts, political science, economics, all that stuff. And I flunked out. Mm-hmm. just couldn't focus. It just wasn't me. And then finally I found film school. And then that's where I just started to excel again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really, I don't know, something about telling stories, something about, um, you know, using cameras and editing machines where I just suddenly was felt alive and could really do it. So I was happy I went to film school. Of course, at the time, I was very cynical, like, I don't need film school. Um, but, you know, it was great. It was really good because, you know, you're so young. I was like 23. You need to be in school. You need to be working with other people and working collaboratively. And this is a collaborative medium. So after that, I went to Korea for a couple of years and taught English. When I came back, I had a couple of friends from film school had started a production company, and I ended up working good seven years. Mm. First, doing whatever I could, you know. Um, we did tons of what we called multimedia back then, around the year 2000. Um, tons of corporate media, media for companies, um, other tech companies, and things like little videos explaining mm. products, explaining oh, softwares. Okay. Then we started getting into commercials. And I was lucky enough to start writing on some commercials when, you know, people started doing web commercials 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And then a lot of the advertising agencies in the whole world was already so established. But there were a lot of work that they didn't want to do because it was really low budget. Yeah, the advertising world was already really established. You know, they get clients and then they hire production companies with these famous directors. But then, you know, budget started to really decrease. And I think I got some gigs there based on the fact that I was willing to do stuff that other people weren't really willing to do. Just take mm-hmm. a camera and make a web commercial for a couple thousand bucks or something like that. And I started to make them really funny and entertaining. And, uh, you know, I just had so much fun with them. And they turned out to be successful. And then I got to 
to direct more bigger bigger commercials like for bigger brands and things like that and it kind of went from there um and um so that was basically where i found my niche just being there just trying to do anything creative at all that i could and the opportunities mm -hmm. just came along for me to do more and more within the framework of this one production company that my my friends had started so i was basically called the creative director there for about seven years and then uh, i worked for networks in toronto as a producer and then i came back to vancouver um, and started getting involved doing a lot of editing um, on television shows for cmt um, I got some gigs, and then um, and then I went into story editing. Um, there was a show called um, Dussault, and then World's Weirdest Restaurants, where they needed people to come in. They had a high demand of people to come in and like work with the footage before the editors worked with the footage. Oh wow! So before the editor gets all fancy with the cuts and everything, mm -hmm. to really kind of hone in on what the story is and just kind of make basically an assembly of maybe ten or fifteen minutes for a five minute segment and make these. So that the editor only has to start with 15 minutes, not 25 hours of footage. Yeah. So the story editors are going through, working through, solving all the problems, but not doing all the slick stuff that the editor does in the end. And so that was a, a, um, a definite way of, of the production companies having a nice workflow. And I got a lot of work on that for about six or seven good years, starting around 2010. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so that, yeah. And then that led to directing in the field because I had some directing credits already and they had hired directors on these shows that I was working on like Timber Kings for HGTV and those directors didn't really work out first year they were kind of in the field and I was there trying to assist them with materials and ideas and feedback and things like that and then eventually they just said Garth why don't you just be in the field and be the director on this one TV show and then I was director of Timber Kings for about five years. It sounds like what you were doing was just like a lot of, okay, I'll just do it myself. I'll just, uh, I'll take anything, give me anything. I'll just kind of put my own spoof on it and we're going to roll with it. And with that Timber Kings thing, it was like I was put in the field because the directors didn't have enough information. So they were literally interviewing people, but they didn't know what they were interviewing them about. They were experienced directors, uh -huh. but they were walking into a situation where they, they just thought they were in charge and they, people would just do what they said, but they didn't have enough information. They're like, what am I supposed to be asking this guy about? But I've been working in the editing room for months, so I know all the details. So then there was one instance where the director just had to step aside and said, Garth, you're, you're interviewing this guy now because I just don't know what to ask him. Whoa. And then eventually just, <laughs> I, I got fired. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, but excuse me. This happens actually a lot from what I understand is that there's, there's kind of like first season people get fired from certain reasons and then oh, you know, wow. people who are sort of standing in the wings kind of come in. It does happen. Quite so anyway, so oh, that, wow. was, that was kind of a break for me and I did that for a good five years. Also story editing and directing at the same time. But that Timber Kings show, I was you go around the world, like Moscow, Anchorage, That's Pennsylvania, sick. California, like every week somewhere different for almost five years. Whoa. Yeah. And that was the last major like television directing gig I did. And then for a couple of years, I did a lot of development things, mm -hmm. helping um, a, a different friends who had a production company try to get ideas off the ground with shows that hadn't been greenlit yet. Mm -hmm. And they hel I helped them do like trailers and oh. sizzle reels and pilots sort of so to speak 
to help them get and also editing on another TV series. But then, um, but yeah, and that's but right now I've sort of transitioned out of it and kind of living a semi-retired life right now in Nosara during this COVID doing photography work and editing work. Right Can't now. hate that. Yeah. Man, this job's taking you everywhere. What was it like filming in all these different places? Like celebrity style. You're like a little rock star going everywhere. We're a little rock star, but I mean, we were a small crew, just two cameramen, a soundman, and me. So like we're oh, super, wow. super modest, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so that's good though, being small and nimble because people don't. You're not overwhelming people when you come in with your camera and you say, hey, I want to film you guys doing this real situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's your little, you're, you know, they get yeah, a little more relaxed. But it was unusual. I mean, every situation was different. I'm always dealing with, in the case of this log home building show, you know, you have customers who are buying the log home and then you have the guys in the show who are making the log home. And the people buying the, they were always people who had never been on camera before. So the trick yeah. was always kind of sort of working with them in a really gentle way to see what I could pull out of them or to see how mm. far they could participate or to see how far I could just get them to the reveal their true self and, and hopefully, fingers crossed, God, please, please, they'll even cry <laughs> like, at the please, end. Please, waterworks, please, and, please, please. Please, and then cry because... <laughs> That would be so good for our show if you were in tears and you saw your finished home and how happy you were. What a great ending. So that didn't always happen, of course, but you pray for it to happen, right? How did you get them to, like, open up? Like, do you have, like, tips and tricks of, like, how to open anyone up? Um, yeah. I mean, but it's just kind of common sense in the way. I mean, it's just doing what you can to hopefully get them to like you. And it didn't mm -hmm. always happen. I had some people who were just always shut and I wasn't, didn't, wasn't successful every time. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, just... I guess it's not coming in like you're the boss. It's more like coming into a situation where, you know, you're going to be a partner with them to help tell their story. And I yeah. think that's what worked. That's why maybe some of the some of the directors in the first season got fired because they expected just to walk in and people take their orders. Whether I was just like, I didn't stop people if they had other things going on in their life. You know, they're mm -hmm. like, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I mean, like, I understand. That's most important. My show to you is the second most important thing. <laughs> the directors in the first year of the season were like, they were taking orders from headquarters, right? And yeah. just saying, we're going to get this done and everyone's going to listen to me. And that. But then all right. of a sudden the people on the show were like, we're getting stressed out because we got we to gotta do a job. We've got other responsibilities. And so my success on this particular show was that I just listened to those people and made sure that they got their life thing yeah. done first. Took like and a human approach. Second. Uh huh. And then that relaxed them and they're like, okay, now I'm not freaking out, you know, and that, that was generally how I got through it. Yeah. Make sure their needs are taken care of and then start, and yeah. then start slowly making <laughs> suggestions instead of demands. Exactly. Exactly. Uh -huh. And seeing what, seeing where you can, what doors are open, what ways you can work with them, what ways there are willing to be worked with. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it wasn't always possible. I mean, there were some situations I can remember where it went really bad. But <laughs> were they in like their house where they're like, oof, well, this was not. Well, it's not that they didn't like their house. They were just suspicious of us. Oh. You know, like paranoid people. Like, where are you going to make us look like, you know, like when people in South Carolina, are you going to make us look like hillbillies, dumb hillbillies? Or um, when I went to Russia once, these they were like, they didn't know what, if we were spying on them. Oh, man. That must have been really... It took three days before we could turn the camera on. And it was really weird because Whoa. we got written permission. Why would we go there without written permission? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. but then we still had to play this kind of standoff game um, and like wait for their trust and it took days right oh wow was there anything like for study from teaching english in korea were there things that you like learned from that experience of like oh. working with people in international communities that kind of helped you approach different scenarios sound it sounds right to me i'm just think <laughs> it sounds of like it would it sounds like yeah. it would for sure <laughs> i mean just i guess the more exposure to any kind of international you know 
you know, the more sensitive or the more you can read other people, the better, I guess, is mm-hmm. what I can say in general. Um, I would like to think on that that question. That's a very interesting question. Maybe we'll come back to it. And I'll yeah, have an answer. for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I would just love to know just in general because yeah. I feel like so many people get stressed out, especially I'm going through a similar thing where I don't really know what I want to do, but there's so much that I want to do. And it's like, wow, you know, I have all these years, like I got to do it. But yeah. then you have... Everyone always says like, oh, live up your 20s, but also like get ready for your 30s. Like you're in this like weird time period. You're like, I want to get so much done. I want to travel. And I like for me, I'm like, oh, maybe I do want to go like teach English in Korea. Like that'd be sick. Does that stop me from wanting to pursue any of my other goals? And it's like, probably not. I don't think so, because I taught English from Korea for two years when I was 24. And, and, you know, I went right back into the film industry because I still just had to start at square one anyway, Mm -hmm. you know. But the thing, whatever happened to me in Korea gave me such great life experience. Mm -hmm. So that did somehow apply. I just don't know exactly how tangibly exactly but you know came came back and that's what i would say in terms of trying to get into the industry i mean i think post production is the way to go because there's just mm-hmm. so much footage coming in for these reality shows where two three cameras are just blasting footage all day long before that footage even gets to the assistant editors even that mm-hmm. footage has to be sorted categorized logged and labeled yeah like wide shot of the house you know um, single shot of character A, reaction shot of character B, and this goes on for hours and hours just labeling it so someone can just even click on the files and know what they're looking at, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just one suggestion I was mentioning to you the other day about someone who wanted to get in. To me, I see so much work, avail- so much processing work at an entry level in post-production yeah. of reality programming or just television programming in general based on mm-hmm. how it works now. Um, for all the shows that I've seen being made for and food TV and HGTV and things like that. Yeah, so it's kind of like hop in in a place where it doesn't matter if you start like a specific spot. Just like start, get some skills where it's like editing, putting in the hours, putting in the time. And then that kind of get, that almost gives you like from based on your story, it gives you a leg up on people who haven't done it. And the difference between getting involved early in in a, as a young age that you are in post-production first rather than being in the field first is the field can be a bit mysterious. Uh-huh. You, there's often this feeling of like, am I doing the right thing? Did I get all the right shots? Oh, I don't really know Self-doubt. Yeah, yeah, you know what? When you get in the editing room and you start watching the footage, it's suddenly really effing obvious what yeah. you should have done but didn't do. And so uh-huh. it's really painful when you come back and then you have meetings with all your bosses and everyone watches the footage and it's really obvious what you did wrong when you're watching it. Oof. And so that's a tough thing. Yeah. So the reason I'm saying this is starting in post-production, you have all the information in front of you. You know yeah. how it should have been shot, what should have been done. Uh-huh. And you're seeing the... Basically, it's like you're seeing the puzzle in its almost complete form with all its pieces Knowing that before you went out into the field would be way better, I would say. Okay. I did it the other way around, mm-hmm. and I think doing being inside, being inside post production first before you go in the field. I mean, I think it's just a good way of of, of doing it. It because, seems like a pretty smooth transition because you got to know how the shots fit together, how the pieces fit together before going out and just shooting and turning the camera on and off. It's like what's to tell you you got all the stuff that you need. Yeah. Right. Oh, um, did and, you, yeah. oh, yeah. Did you ever have to, like, go in and, like, when you're editing something and you're just, it's just the worst? Like, yeah. have you ever, like, what is that like? Do you, like, hand it back and you're like, here you go. I tried to make it as beautiful as possible, but. I would say, like, what you what we do is, 
is let's say you're editing someone else's work and they just missed getting a shot of the person listening to the main person talking. They didn't get the reaction shot. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a, that's a big no-no. But if they did that often, I'll just make a timeline and where things seem like they're missing, I'll just put in a black screen and say, shot, wide shot of the farmhouse goes here. And then people say, you didn't get a wide shot? And I'm like, no, no, we gave you a wide shot of the farmhouse. And they're like, well, you should have got a wide shot of the farmhouse. I'm like, as according to cut, one shot to the next, you can see here, it would be good to see a wide shot of the farmhouse first. So you just put that on screen, you write, when, as a suggestion to those who are your higher-ups, your producers, I thought I'd just put that as a title placeholder. Yeah, in case, oh, in case smart. you guys have the budget yeah. to send someone else out and get that, and in case you want that. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the best idea, I'm just placing that here. To, to, as I think that would be a good scene order or shot order like that. Yeah, suggest. Mm, I so like that, that's one one thing you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. So you mentioned film in film school. Was that grad school or was that like your like college? It was just a years? one year thing called Vancouver Film School. Really? It was really practical, hands on. Uh huh. Um, you know, there were there were camera courses and editing courses and things like that, and then there were. Um, you know, throughout the year, there was you had to finish a documentary as a group. You had to finish in two short, two different short films as a group. What launched your career wasn't this like, well, I went to college and then I had to go another four years and then like I did all this kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know like the the steps of becoming. I, I, like grad school to me is so like I don't know that's a huge commitment. I, just, I can't think about it. I just it. went to a one year school and then some friends gave me an entry level job, doing some basic, you know, editing of even sound files or even just just even roughing together little corporate videos for software companies. Nice. So I um, feel like anyone kind of adopt that to them, like, even now. Yes, just like... I think so. Y- you can easily find jobs, well, you know, like, little, like, hey, could you do this for me? Could you do this for me? Like, and now that everyone's, like, starting a YouTube channel or, like, a podcast like I am, where yeah. you can easily hop on and be like, I can edit, just and give me some experience. I found, too, when we hired entry-level people, when after a few years when I was there and we hired other entry-level people beneath me or they would just come in, you know, some wouldn't last very long because maybe they weren't very good at anything, but others would start something and then you'd see, oh, they're good at this other thing, and then you'd move them over to this other job, and then they mm. would excel there. And that oh, that nice. happened a lot, too. So I wouldn't be afraid to jump into whatever entry-level job you can get mm-hmm. because you never know how long it's going to last or how before someone moves you over to this because they see you're good at that skill or something. Mm-hmm. You know? So they can... It's kind of like just put your... Just get in the water and you'll find just, where to swim. Just try to get a job if you can. <laughs> yeah, just, just. <laughs> That's the hard part. That's really the hard part, just getting your resume in the door and getting them to look at you and getting them to call you and say that you're willing to do whatever. And you never know. like what you know. Just And that's a numbers game, right? Just going to place after place after place mm-hmm. after place. Yeah. Finally getting in the door somewhere. That's the real hard part. And mm-hmm. then it's going to take a few years to get somewhere anyway. But yeah, if you can get in the door somewhere at a post-production company or a production house, yeah. that's great. Say you'll PA, say you'll be a, you know, you know, you'll do assistant night work and grunting and editing. You'll, you'll find it works pretty fast because yeah. you're a smart person. And, uh, yeah. The, the, I mean, the media universe is so much bigger than when I was, I mean, people say there's so many people, so many more people going to film school now and things like that, but the media universe is so much bigger. Yeah, I feel like it can hit years ago. anything. That's why I guess I'm doing this podcast just because like, I'm so interested in the media and like film world and like yeah. entertainment, but like, jeez, that could, that world is on a different planet. There's so much. What about just offering your services to people who have podcasts that need to be edited? Like, yeah. you know, like um, there's one here in Nosara that you and I have been talking about, but even when you go back home to New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, I bet you there's tons of people who are just overwhelmed with unedited podcasts sitting on their machines that they just need help with. 
processing them to get them out the door. Yeah. It could be. And if you can help them out and it goes well, then it's like, oh, then they yeah. can, you can just like kind of network within that and be like, oh, can you help me out? I'm going to move over here, move over there. And then also with everything you do, like you're going to help with this podcast here in Nosara right now, you mm-hmm. could put that on your resume. Like so yeah. that, and then people check into, well, what's the Nosara podcast? Well, why don't you go check it out? And you can send it to them. Mm-hmm. Each little thing like that adds another thing. Oh, you edited on a bunch of different podcasts. Oh, I get it. And it's another yeah. part of your resume. I mean, it's like Shrek. Like an onion's like a layer. Like yeah. you want to be like that onion. Just yeah. have, layers. have layers. And then it helps everyone else out too. Even even this podcast that you're doing with me right now is a thing that goes on your resume. I oh. made my own podcast. Yeah, um, it's, that, that's another line all the lines it's all part right? of the grand hustle just right. like keep it going keep, keep it going exactly <laughs> so you're in this world what is one thing that you did not see coming from you just starting out like was there something that you learned that you're like wow I did not think that that would it's kind of a like a broad question but yeah I don't know the answer specifically is there something that you loved about the industry that you were like this is like the people well, in it it was pretty tough, actually. I mean, mm-hmm. politically, as you as I got sort of moved up the ladder, it was kind of tough sometimes dealing with people who had been in the industry for a long time. Once mm-hmm. I got into p- positions of like writing scripts or directing commercials, because I was still in my twenties. Yeah. So that was a bit weird. There were some definitely some like I'm in. I'm almost fifty now. Mm-hmm. But when I was in when I was in my twenties, I got some jobs where. I could tell the people from either the the company that was hiring our production company or the advertising company that there was something weird about me being a guy just in my 20s, being uh, the boss on set sometimes. Like, who is this guy? So so I would say the thing that I wasn't mature enough at, at the time was sort of understanding the political layout of who needs to be recognized as mm-hmm. a higher up uh-huh. and an important person and who needs some attention paid to them rather than me just like going I'm too busy right now to deal with you I'm gonna, <laughs> you know I'm focusing I'm, I'm gonna focus on this thing maybe not maybe being a little smarter with with uh-huh. paying attention to who the higher ups were to, to, to acknowledge them a little better maybe uh, maybe yeah, that's just yeah. one thing that comes to mind mm-hmm. as a memory from my 20s definitely I feel like that could be especially I feel like being in your 20s would be almost more stressful You're like you, you guys have got this figured out I am right now I am a, a guy in my 20s trying to figure this out. Like, I'm on the chopping block before you. And, you know, it was when I remember working with these advertising agencies with guys that have been in that business for 20, 30 years, hiring, you know, young production companies. And I could just see that some of them were just waiting for me to fail. Oh. So they could say, you know, see, we told, and I, there was a couple of projects where I was picked to fail, if you can believe that or not. Because, Whoa. because the advertising world at that time, they would they would say they would have like retainers like you got you corporation got to spend so much money for us at this advertising agency uh-huh. and then uh, you know there were companies that say we want to do that anymore we want to pay you way less and then they'd say well we got to give you less and then we'll give you this Garth guy over here he's twenty six years old <laughs> this Garth guy and it's almost like I felt in one job they wanted me to, to them, me to do the job so that they could see it was bad so that they could be taught a lesson you know <gasps> I know that sounds really screwed up in business but I saw that happening. And I saw that, and that was scared the crap out of me while I was obviously. Going on. So right. I would have been like, "What do I? And, what's the um, next step?" Luckily, that series of commercials that I'm talking about was a series of six, which were extremely funny, uh-huh. and well acted, and well cinem- well shot, and well edited. And Ooh. they made They were super low budget too. Uh-huh. And so the advertising agency, our boss, had to kind of walk away with his tails between its legs. Which is not a great thing either, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, there are some political things which I was not prepared for as a person in my twenties to be working with other large corporations that buy 
commercials mm -hmm. from large corporations who are advertising agencies who hire companies who are production companies who I was working for. Mm -hmm. That politics was a, was a, just a, I had no idea what that, that that was going to happen. Yikes. What got you through? Like, did you like adopt like a mentality, like a mantra where you're just like, keep it going, Garth? I like got, I got lucky in the first few that it, they were just really good. Uh-huh. So it's like, that was the only reason I made it. If they sucked, if those commercials I directed sucked, either would have been, that could have been the end of me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I feel like what you've mentioned like before, like throughout the podcast right now is like, Humor plays a massive part of it. Like, like even those low budget ones, they're like, put yeah. this guy on it. We'll just yeah. see how he does. It's going to yeah. be terrible. Yeah. Like keeping a sense of humor. I think that that's so much to be said for just like keeping sure. it, Absolutely. keep it fun, keep it light and just send it, like just put it through. Absolutely. And there's like always something you can do like out of nothing. It just seems like what I really enjoy about your story is that it wasn't this like, oh, well, like my dad was in it. And like, like we're just like this big family from Hollywood, actually. Like, it just like, it's honestly my blood. Like yeah. DNA, that's yeah. what I am. And that's what I think is so important to hear is like these stories of people who came up because they were like, I'm interested in this. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to just kind of roll with it and just, you know, kind of keep like an open, open space about it in your head. Just yeah. like shoot, shoot with humor. It just <laughs> roll with it. <laughs> Doesn't matter what, what happens. Ah, I love that. Yeah. That's going to be a really good, I'm, I hope that people are like inspired by that where they're like, great, you know what, yeah. this gets me going. Right. So was there one thing that you would, hmm, what would you tell someone right now, like in this current, like COVID scenario of life? I don't know. I, don't know. I can't tell you if we're on the end of it or not, I'm, if we're I'm in just, the middle. I'm not, so, I haven't been really involved with TV since COVID. I've actually mm -hmm. been kind of out of it because... My, my, my dad has suffered from Alzheimer's and I had to kind of take over his uh, business during that time to sell it and that took a good year out of my life. Yikes. I was in totally non-entertainment industry kind of business. Yeah. But I don't know what to say during COVID except that I know that, you know, everybody's working remotely, right? Yeah. Um, people, you know, I mean, already post-production, you know, editors were already working at home half the time. People don't want to spend money on offices and real estate and computers and if you can do stuff at home now with fast connections, you can upload things. Um, but I think COVID really sent everybody home, right? Yeah. So then, then like, so I don't know how you get in touch. Like, how do you get in touch with the post productions? There's still a post production supervisor. There's still someone connecting all the dots. Of yeah. These twenty editors are out here. These assistant editors are out here, and that's still that one person um, putting all the stuff together and knows mm -hmm. that they need help with this. So at, like at the end, like if you're like looking for something to do, I feel like that would be such a good remote job of like. Mm -hmm. They can just drop Dropbox you the file and be like, can you just cut through this? Right. Go through it. Yeah. This is how you do it. And also... Even, oh, one other thing is mm -hmm. even transcribing. There are automated transcribing services now where you can drop your whole audio, audio file. But even something as boring as transcribing, like sometimes I would just be there in a production companies in my 20s just watching someone in an interview for two hours and typing it out. Because mm -hmm. I had good typing skills, I could actually type pretty fast and get the transcription out pretty fast, Ooh. which is basically like, you know, minute 103, and you type a word for word, but the person says minute 107, and you just keep typing and typing. That was just one of the many grunt jobs that I mm -hmm. had. But that actually helped me too, because I remember when I started editing things at this one production company, I was my own transcriber. So oh. I went through all the footage and like nobody knew it better than me. I know every single yeah. word of it. And then I had to print out of like 50 pages of, of time coded things. And then I could sit there and just highlight and actually literally just paper edit the thing before I edited the thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Paper editing. Just like, Wait, could you explain what paper editing is? Paper editing is a real manual way of going about it, but it's a real great way of cutting. Also, also at the same time, quite a shortcut because once you have all the sets, say, let's say you have hours and hours of interviews of people talking. And you have every sentence 
associated with a time code mm -hmm. so that you know how to find it with your computer, that particular sentence, let's say. Yeah. You can then paper edit and say, say you have a documentary where you have different voices talking back and forth and you're changing between person A, person B, person C, person D and you have all those in different transcription piles you can highlight them and then almost like with a scissor or digitally imagine taking a scissor and Cutting taking that out. sentence out here putting it here and then taking from this woman over here taking her sentence and putting it next and creating the order with paper or in a Microsoft Word uh -huh. the same thing right so let's call even a Microsoft Word table a paper edit where you're cutting and pasting the sentences and the time code references. Mm -hmm. And you can literally see, you can make your whole documentary like that and read it and see that it makes sense before you went and edited it. Wow. And in a way, that sounds tedious, but in a way it's also a good shortcut in the yeah. end, right? Yeah. Because so you can see that this sentence really works against this sentence after this sentence after this sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, wow. Like it just, all these tedious jobs though, like it pays off like there's just you're, kid, right? yeah like literally like boom, boom. What, uh, what is it wipe, wipe on, on wipe off. off yeah exactly those you're killing basics it basics and fundamentals they yeah it's a good point you know they sound like grunt jobs but those are the base skills transcribing labeling footage dude you're like the sensei no, right you're, now you're, yeah. you're, it's like I want you to just block my hands for the next yeah. summer and when if you get a job in post production don't be overwhelmed by the fact that they just said here's 19 terabytes of stuff to go through because <sighs> that means you'll know that 19 terabytes more than anyone else Ooh. then you have value in the company because people will be asking you questions about where do I find this? Does this guy any good? Does she a good talker? What kind of information is this? And you're going to have all those answers for people. That's the Dropbox in your brain. Just yeah. like, whoop, boom, and in there. People would sooner ask you if they knew you know than going searching it for themselves, right? Yeah, and then you become like a right-hand kind of guy, woman situation. Yeah, totally. You can just like, oh, she knows, she he knows, knows the answer. You're the go-to girl. Yeah. Time. Ooh, I think I'll just call this episode Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Karate Kid reality television show. Just like, that's <laughs> it. Boom. And it sounds corny what I'm going to say. You're a very delightful person. You have a very good <laughs> attitude. And that's really important, too. I can't say how much about that. I know it sounds cheesy. But, I mean, that just gets you so far when you're in the door and you're just saying, hey, I'll do anything, you know. Mm -hmm. And you're just earnest, the person that you are. I mean, that just counts for so much. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to be... If you're gonna be cranky and have a yeah. have a tune, it's like I'm gonna be honest. That's not the move. But as soon as they hear that you're ready, you're you're, you're like grunt work, terabytes Do of footage, it. bring it on. They're like, oh, you're a lifesaver because <laughs> we are so busy right now. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that. Okay, yeah. great. Karate Kid. Yeah. That's the mentality. So that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Doom for Success. I hope to catch you next episode. And don't forget, you're doomed for success.